Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What up, beautiful people? It's your boy, your host, the host of Draft Strickland, Prez, a.k.a. at underscore Presidente on Twitter. I'm glad you could join me to continue on our journey as we get closer and closer to draft day, you know? We've all come to terms with the 11th pick since we uh, last spoke. Um, So, you know, there's always a trade up or a trade down or a trade out possibility. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling decent and... Uh, I'm ready to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago, where we had a special guest come help us out with a special question that was uh, very niche, very nerdy, uh, very draft Twitter. Some may say the question of what does the 66th percentile outcome look like for some players, aka, you know, what does it look like if a player has pretty good development, but not crazy, unexpected development? And in the last pod, uh, episode, I want to say 31, we looked at previous players in the last couple of drafts and tried to answer that question. Today, we'll turn our attention towards the current class. So returning to help me with that question, I have Chuck of the Chucking Darts podcast at Chucking Darts NBA. You may know him as Chuck. You may know him as Charles D'Artagnan. You may know him as Chuck Daly. You may know him as Charles Dartwin, the scientist. You may know him as Charles Barkley, Charles Dartley, excuse me, the Hooper. Or you may know him as the academic Dartmouth University. <laughs> Chuck, how we doing? <laughs> oh, man, you got me on those, man. That was great. Um. I'm thrilled to be back. One quick clarification. I am just at Chucking Darts. If there is an at Chucking Darts NBA account out there, it means the imposters have started to spring up, which means I am finally cresting on my uh, ascent in our little uh, draft Twitter sphere. But no, man, it's great. Glad to be back. Glad to walk right back into Club 66.6666 here and address this question with you. But before we get started, I would like to announce... The Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's many tiers. a $6 tier. That gets you access to this podcast every Friday that I do with Prez, Pod Strickland. Uh, you also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks all the time, 24-7. 
there's live game chats. It's a fun time. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks writers in the business. You also will get access to my solo podcast, Trick and Roll, uh, where I yell about the Knicks quite a bit, uh, even more if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a fifty dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. Those get you access to a variety of further things like merchandise discounts, live watch parties, listening in on podcast recordings, even potentially hosting a podcast yourself alongside us one day. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Your support is appreciated. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knickerbockers. Let the record be clear. If there's an imposter on there, there can only be one. So I'll call some people who know some people who do some things and take care of it. Cause there's only one chucking darts podcast. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I, uh, you know, I've been, as the playoffs have gone deeper, I've tuned a little bit more and more in. And part of the reason why I wasn't watching early on was just capacity. I had to crank out a bunch of draft stuff and I had some work stuff going on. But one of the things I always, this is a tangent. And of course I'm starting the pod on a tangent, but like one of the things I always wonder you know, come playoff time, if you really lock in and you're watching a lot of the games because it's great entertainment, it's been a great playoffs, is like letting perhaps too quick takeaways too quick affect what I think about the draft. And I'm not going to go full, like, what's his name, Uh, who Brad Pitt played in Moneyball? Um, Oh, Billy Bean. Yeah, I'm not going to go full Billy Bean and not watch the games or anything, but like just seeing, you know, the the poverty Grayson Allen minutes, poverty, like all these guys trying to fill in the like two-way role player wing slot who can't, and then seeing like what the Celtics are doing and what the Heat do when they have Jimmy and PJ cooking versus not. And it's hard for me to not look at some of the bigger guys in this class and be like, should I bump it up? You know, so you know, now mm-hmm. now that I've finally tuned into the playoffs, I'm like dealing with these meta questions and Wondering if I should just go right back to fucking not watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, we could do the ultimate, uh, like, nerd elitist bit and be like, oh, so you spend your time actually watching playoff games? <laughs> this <laughs> right. is draft season. <laughs> no, nah, man. But I know, I mean, it's tough with um, how late the start times are on some of these games, too, man. If you're not like a young buck with tons of disposable time, then it you kind of have to pick one or the other. And oh yeah, so that's no, that's I'm, sort of the the boat that I'm in. Those Western Conference games that aren't on, uh, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, few and far between for me. I might, you know, obviously I'll catch highlights, but like in a perfect world, I'll, you know, I'll rewatch the game and skip the commercials. But I think I've done that once this playoff, so most of them I've just straight up missed. Um, I've tuned in for some of the the later one. I tuned in for that weird Mavs Suns game seven, like, and I was like, "Great, I stayed up for this. This is useless." Well, but then you could just go to bed quickly. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Ten I minutes of like, that one, yeah. I was like, "This is convenient, actually." So you're right. You're right. I, I was actually somewhat thankful after that. Um, but yeah. So you know, I, I'm sure that the question of like takeaways from playoffs will slowly work its way into the episode anyway but um 
Yeah, so in terms of good but not great outcomes for the current crop of guys, one sort of set the table kind of question I had for you is this, and and it's it's a little weird of a question, so feel free to just let me know. Like, Perez, can you restate the question? Perez, can you make some fucking sense? So uh, one issue that I've had with evaluating guys is I consider what roles they could have mm-hmm. on a given team, and if uh, if I don't consider, if say I say this prospect, you know, he's probably going to play like one of these three roles, and I miss a fourth role, then it totally fucks up my evaluation, and that's kind of what happened with John Kaminga, where I was like, ah, nobody's going to use this guy as a small ball five, at least not this point in his career, and you know, not as a a roll and dunk and D four man, mm-hmm. basically a small ball five playing the four, like rank 23rd or whatever the hell I put him. That was very disrespectful. And then uh, the Warriors were like, actually, that's exactly what we're going to do. And it's going to be awesome. And <laughs> I've gotten burned like that several times in the last couple of years. So now I'm thinking of like, what does good development look like for these guys? And I'm trying to make sure I fucking like Dr. Strange calculate all the possible outcomes and uh, have all the, possible universe of roles in mind um does that ever trip you up or are you just kind of like someone's a good basketball player it is what it is uh my i always i i try to always start from a place of optimism with any like i try to see what can go right before i look at what can go wrong with any player and if i can't see it going right then I, like they go way down my board for most guys who are draft prospects. Like I start optimistic. So with Kuminga, I, I yo-yoed with him too throughout that process. But eventually I was like, this guy is so athletic in, in multiple directions that there's gotta be, there, there will be something, some role for him to fill eventually that my, and I had him in the top 10. I think I had him like eighth around where he got picked. But it, I didn't see him being used as a small ball five right away either. And I think that you can let yourself off the hook on that a little bit because the Warriors are one of a very small handful of teams who can afford to pigeonhole him into that role that early. Like you would think maybe the Raptors are another one just with how they handle you know power wing types. But you were high on him. Despite not knowing that he was going to go to the Warriors. Just because I, I figured with at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, as a legit big wing, yeah, being that young and that athletic, I, and when I get to that point, I just go, you know, <laughs> micro-skill development is still something I, I don't feel very well-versed in. You know, it's, it's not the uh, strongest dart in my quiver, so to speak. So I... I, I allow my among us doesn't carry a quiver of darts. <laughs> I don't know if quiver is even the word, but I'll, I'll I'll try to make it happen. My bag of darts, but like I, I just don't know, man. I just I, I was he was still intriguing enough to me, and he showed enough G League flashes. Like his flaws in the G League were like his handle and you know just sort of skill stuff that, of course, he wasn't good at that yet. But he still looked athletically like he belonged so much, and he was still um, such a powerful player that I was just like, we'll see. And I think if he had gone to, 
I don't know, the Washington Wizards, just to name a team out of thin air, that they would have tried to push the guard skills more aggressively because they're searching for a superstar. And they would have tried to really see, well, all right, let's put this cape on you, Kuminga, and see if you're that guy. And that probably would have been another two or three years before, you know, they, he probably would have been a second draft guy in that circumstance. I guess that's what I was, that, that's what I was worried about. I was like, they're going to try to, someone's going to pick him and force the T-Mac path on him or something. And exactly going to go poorly because there ain't a lot of T-Macs out here. So So, um, yeah. Yeah. In your Dr. Strange analogy, I'm not like the biggest Marvel guy, but doesn't he say like there are 16 million scenarios. We only win in one, something like that. Yeah. So I think we're definitely towards the one with Golden State because, I mean, they they diagnosed it very well from the bump. And by the way, he's still like he's gotten playoff cups of coffee, but he is not a positive playoff player for them. Like when it matters, he is not on the floor. And so it's not as though he's this no doubt superstar, but he's going to be a good player and he's going to be good enough for the Warriors to reap the reward of drafting him. I just don't know if that would have happened for every other team. So here's, I just thought of like an even more annoying draft Twitter nerd question, piggybacking off of that. (laughs) So you're right. Like the Golden State scenario was like the Golden Goose. It's it's the one out of 16 million in a lot of ways. And he's flourished in that despite, you know, not being a positive, like almost every rookie, which whatever. And uh, I, is there a difference? Because I would say just watching him, he hasn't had like outlier development at all. He's just in an outlier like context or role or situation that is just the best possible situation for him. Or would you say like it, it's a bit of both the development and the um, like the situation? Definitely a bit of both. Um, like. It's so early in his career. I don't know how many minutes he played this year, but I can't imagine it was more than like 600. It was just not that much. So I don't know what skill development you would even really look for. Like you would see him down on the block, go to like his spin pivot thing. And he would do that in the G league a little bit, but he, they didn't have him initiating pick and rolls. I didn't really have him taking jumpers off the dribble. So they, you know, he would run DHOs and he would do like a fake DHO and spin and go to the hoop, which is stuff that you can teach. It's just that in the Warriors system, that stuff's going to work pretty quickly if you can get to the rim, like athletically, which he can. And there was no tension about him wanting, let's say he maybe I don't want to speak for him, but I'm sure Kuminga wants to be a star like most high draft picks do. It, it takes a certain pedigree of organization for a, a young kid, a young confident kid to understand, hey, I have to dial it back. And with Draymond and Steph there, like you're going to listen. You're not going to try to, you know, peacock around and, you know, mark your territory and be the star. And that's what that's the right move for Kuminga, at least early on. And so I don't know, like. I think the outlier thing is the context because that is not going to exist on most teams. And as far as the skill development, I don't know how much his skills have truly developed this year. I mean, they've gotten better just by virtue of having the reps, but we won't really know until he has a, like a bigger role. 
I remember in summer league, like I thought that his skills popped a little bit more than they popped in the G league. Like he, he had a couple touch passes, like touch interior passes that I hadn't noticed during the G league season. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is, I mean, I had him high, but this is like these early returns are very, very good. And so I don't know. That's that weird question about development. Like with some guys, like Kawhi shooting, obviously you see how much specific skills have developed. But for a lot of players, um, and this is it's interesting to get into this draft class. Um, for a lot of guys, it's it, I think that the sixty six percent outcome is more. I don't know. I feel like whatever. I feel like the the sixty six percent outcome is something that actually most prospects hit like it's rare I think to have a prospect profile that that suggests one type of player and then you get an entirely different type of one now there are different skill developments that can push it in one direction or another but I I almost think the range of outcomes for guys is a bit narrower than we give it credit for yeah you're 100% right I it that question weighs heavily on my mind because of a few, a handful of very interesting prospects, but you're right. Like most drafts really, once you get outside of the lottery, you pretty much know what role a guy is going to play. Yeah. And then among lottery, because it's role players, right? Like it's very obvious, like rim running center, floor stretching center, three and D wing energy scoring microwave guard. Like these guys are like, it's, it's easy to spot. And then, uh, in the lottery, like, you know, again, let's look at this year. Like, Paolo is a very archetypal prospect, right? Like, there's not much, no one's wondering what role he's going to play. He's going to be some version of a fulcrum offensive hub scoring, passing from all parts of the court and all that stuff. And we've seen it before. And, He's the latest iteration of that, and it is what it is, and it's fucking awesome. And then <laughs> Jabari is, you know, like, he's new in the sense that he's gigantic, but, like, ridiculous shooting, stretch big, slash, like, power wing on defense. Like, that's a bunch, that's a couple of familiar roles kind of combined, but we're familiar with them. So it's really, a, you know, to, to start with a couple of the guys who, in my opinion, uh, do have some role variability, so to speak. Um, I want to start with Dyson because he's been the one that's mm. been troubling me the most in this way. Because this is a kid who, nineteen months ago, was six foot four, and then he sprouted up and uh, got a little more athletic. Started doing windmills and stuff. Really awesome career path. He's the a point guard for Australia on multiple levels. He comes to the ignite, and he's a point guard. Scoot Henderson comes in, they split point guard, and he's still mostly a point guard, even though sometimes he's defending all types of players for the Ignite, because that's who he is. And he doesn't really put a ton of rim pressure, and that was the big dichotomy when, you know, you see him and then you see Scoot, and obviously Scoot is, like, otherworldly, so that's completely unfair. But, like, Dyson is the type of point guard who... He's not... Halliburton, but they share a similarity in that his drives pretty much are from the three-point line to like around 10 feet for Mm -hmm. the most part, and then comes the floater or a good pass or something like that. Um, Differences being Dyson is larger and more athletic, and Halley is 
a great passer, where Dyson is a good passer, and Hallie's a ridiculous shooter, and blah, 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 blah. But, like, I just wonder with Dyson, I could see a world where some team picks him, and they're like, we're going to make you the fucking super Caruso-Lonzo-type player where you'll get some ball handler reps, but we're not relying on you for penetration because this is 2022, and a lot of teams have creators at various positions already, even ones in the top of the lottery. And, you know, like, he'll get some creation reps, but really he's there to play defense, to be a connector, to shoot, to attack closeouts, to run in transition, to be switchable, stuff like that. And then there's, like, another universe where some team with maybe more minutes to spare or more ball handler reps to spare is like, yo, you're 19, we're going to hammer out these fucking pick and roll reps, driving reps, work on your ball handling because we want the most ridiculous version of Dyson Daniels, which is like a Josh Giddy like gigantic driving mm. point guard who can do all types of shit and play like every single role possible, like a weird shape-shifting NBA demon. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to like weigh these things in my head, you know, you hear all the hype. He, he's the biggest riser, allegedly, in the combine. Um, this whole time, I'm not really worried about his shooting. I'm more worried about, like, the ball handling and driving and stuff like that um, because that's what separates those two outcomes. So that's kind of how I'm approaching the Dyson evaluation. Um, but I can't, I can't wrap it up with a bow because I'm like, I don't know of these different development pathways what's more likely and what depends on team and there's too many factors and it makes my brain hurt a lot so uh how are you approaching dyson uh from a similarly brain painful (laughs) angle but i love that you brought him up because i was thinking about dyson i actually had a conversation this weekend with uh mutual friend uh draft pal about daniels and here's what you mentioned uh, Lonzo and Caruso, right? So both very valuable guys. I mean, they happen mm-hmm. to be on the same team, but very valuable. And they are not guys who are going to do a ton off the dribble in terms of getting all the way to the rim and hunting mm-hmm. their own shot. Uh, Lonzo, you know, can hit threes off the bounce a little bit and do some pull-ups in the mid-range and stuff like that. But he was he has settled on his role out of necessity because he was not this like blow by kind of guard. Right. Um, I'll add the one key thing for Zoe. Like I'm sure Dyson's going to be a good shooter, but Zoe is like, I'm going to put them up like huge amounts of threes per 100. And this was even while he was like working out his shooting. Right. And to me, that's like a huge, huge difference there's a reason he gets 19 million and Caruso doesn't, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, well, and Lonzo, yeah, he's such an interesting prospect. I, you know, that that could be like an off season, yeah, like August episode <laughs> is Lonzo as a prospect because you, if you were to just look at his stats and not like watch a second of him, you're like, of course this guy went number two overall because for all of the hemming and hawing about his shot form. That dude shot like 40% from three on a million attempts, as like you mentioned, and he shot 70% at the rim. Now they were playing 
you know, that crazy full court hit ahead baseball pass transition kind of ball at UCLA, which goosed up a little bit. But like the profile is the profile. It, you would look at that and be like, well, this shooting is not going to be this guy's problem. But if you were to go by pure eye test, you would say, well, he's really had to work. You had, he's had to work a weakness into a strength. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in between that he, he always had touch and it was more of an aesthetics issue than it was um, a talent issue. Now that shot, again, it, it's become more of a spot up shot than anything else, but I still think that more, that has to do more with his burst than it does his form. But I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's shot doctors and you are much more of an aficionado there than I am that might disagree. I just, I think, I think that part of his game is interesting. And I think Caruso uh, similarly has never been like a blow by kind of guy. Um, Dyson, by contrast, you mentioned he's rising up in the combine. That is partially because his athletic testing, his agility, you know, his cone drill and his lane drill drill and whatever, this, these short area acceleration measurements have been really good. And when I've watched him in the Ignite, I think his first step is pretty good, especially if he's, you know, there with Scoot and he's attacking kind of a closeout. Um, and it's just him versus his man instead of like running pick and roll or working in ISO. And he looks like he gets to the lane pretty quick. He just ends his drives early, like you said. And he also, you know, having grown a few inches recently, he doesn't quite know what angles to take at the hoop. Like That's he, the big one to me. Because, like, like, I've, I've wondered yeah. about his... To me, I, I'm i probably a little less impressed with his first step. But, like, when you're that big... Like, RJ doesn't have a great first step. But who gives a shit? Because he's bigger and stronger than everyone. And that's, like the route i mean dyson might not be like in terms of pounds that he weighs quite the tank that rj is but he's taller than rj and just as strong so like he but might not need a first step that's crazy <laughs> yeah I, well i that's interesting i actually don't know is he bigger than rj he's taller he is yeah they said he's six eight now dude six eight in shoes is that taller than RJ? i don't know i i Okay. All right. So here's the deal. Here's the thing though. If his issue is the craft of finishing, if Dyson has never been, um, he's never had like that complete scoring mentality and actually, you know, draft pal, I shouted out, wrote a piece on Dyson preseason talking about how he was trying to find sort of the improvisation and creativity in his game, how he grew up as more of a, uh, like learning the game via textbook or via basketball academy like fundamentally sound but kind of sauceless you know yeah shout out frank milikina <laughs> that's like, funny i actually know <laughs> as in in trying to figure out uh dyson's game i was like is he a six eight frank and when i thought of it in that way it was uh going back to the coming conversation it was like well this guy might have a good nba career but it might be a second draft kind of guy you know, Dyson's going to be 19 next year. Is he really going to be able to fit into NBA offense in his first couple of years? And if the answer is no, then even if he is a good defender, teams can ignore him. And if you are ignorable, then you're at a disadvantage and you're going to cost your team. I want to stop you right there. 
And I want everybody who's listening to like run that back because that is the exact perfectly articulated reason that I personally, perhaps wrongly, we'll see what happens, <laughs> am low on him for the Knicks because even though he's a great connect passer and I actually think he's going to be a mostly okay spot-up shooter even as a rookie and a very good defender, like even if he is a decent spot-up shooter, he's a rookie so nobody's going to give a shit and whoever has him, you need you need to... You need to play him if you want to develop these higher outcome versions of him at at minimum, like backup point guard minutes, like 20 minutes a game. And you have to be okay with those offense minutes probably being a minus, even if he helps make it up on defense. And with the the glut of currently positive two-way guard prospects the Knicks have, I don't see that I don't see the Knicks having that luxury to that he needs to really get to where he has to go so I don't think and I think the Knicks are aware of this which is why I'm pretty no, I don't think he's gonna last till 11 anyway but like even if he did I don't think they would take him so that's kind of like for people listening if you wonder why Dyson's lower on my Knicks board than on my regular board I'm not hating I'm just trying to see my guy flourish, and I don't think he can do it here. So uh, there you go. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You would ideally, if he's on the court, you want him to be your worst shooter. You don't want to have a shooter worse than a 19-year-old rookie on the court with that rookie. And so it depends on how the Knicks fill out their roster and who they can put around him, like how many good shooters they can stack in the guards and wing spots. I don't know. I I would have to study the Knicks a bit more before I, I would say, like, I'm just low on Dyson for the Knicks period. What would worry me more about the Knicks situation is just their mandate to make the playoffs or if they have a mandate or what the expectations are, what the goals of the team are. That that's more the issue there because I think it will take a little bit of patience with him. But Dyson falls into a very interesting uh, like middle region between starter who can get his own shot, which is sort of the optimistic outcome, and this more Caruso Lonzo area where it's very valuable defensive player who survives on offense. Now in Lonzo's case, he does more than survive because he, you know, is this exceptional passer. And, you know, that's why he makes all his money is because he's this 
pretty well-rounded two-way player. But Caruso um, and a bunch of guys throughout the league who you who are known more or less as three and D or in my parlance D and three wings, they're guys whose primary value is defensive, but then they are not ignorable on offense. And that can be a low bar for some players. It can be a high bar for others. You would think with Dyson that uh, that's probably where he's headed. But if you are optimistic enough on the first step, if you're optimistic enough on his touch, if you think he's going to be a good shooter, then maybe by the time he's 22 or 23, he can get his own shot. And it's, I, I'm, I was thinking through these playoff teams. Uh, really, I'm thinking through the final eight more than the final four, because I thought we had a really good like final right. eight teams right. this year um, as, as sort of the upper quarter of the league. And, you know, what guys matter on, on those teams. And I posted a poll this weekend that was about, you know, who do you think is a better player going forward, Mikhail Bridges or Desmond Bain? Ooh, that was, I saw that. I sent it to Schwinn and uh, my pod and co-host. And both of us were like, this is exceptional. And both of us chose Bain. As and did I. And I love Mikhail. And I love Mikhail. I know. <laughs> and, and it's the, like, the way I think of those guys, like, it's not, they don't fit, like, perfectly into each of these roles. But Mikhail is sort of the ultimate version of that defense first player who, quote unquote, survives on offense. Now, Mikhail can attack a closeout. He can stop and pop in the mid range. Like, he obviously has more on the table, but he isn't. It is unlikely that he's going to be able to run a pick and roll, hit a three off the dribble, you know, really start to take over quarters and halves of playoff games with his offense. He had a couple really big games against uh, the Pelicans in the first round, but that was really because Brandon Ingram would just leave him alone and he would have these wide open lanes or he'd have open threes to take and he would just, you know, catch and go and attack. Mm-hmm. Bain, on the other hand, I think the reason some folks that why that poll was very close. It was basically a 50 50 split is that it's, you can see how Bane off the dribble with his shooting and uh, just his ability to attack downhill a little bit more going back to his, his point guard background at TCU, how strong he is. Uh, He is sort of, he can be the certainly the third and maybe even moonlight as the second best offensive option in playoff games for a good team. Well, that's what he was doing. Exactly. This year. Yeah, exactly. And the question is, well, what is really more important the deeper you go? Is it really good wing defense from Mikhail and then having that supplementary offense that's also excellent? Or is it having a more sort of undeniable, forceful, offensive skill set in Bain. And then Bain is also like a very good defender in his own right, just not all NBA. Right. But he's not like you can, you can hunt him, but it's not going to be easy hunting. Exactly. Like if, if he's the one you're choosing to hunt, like have fun. Cause he's a, he's a refrigerator. Try right, to you could go over him, but like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's not going to be pleasant. And the warriors didn't like playing the Grizzlies and, you know, he fought over screens and whether he was on Steph or pool or whoever, they had long nights. I mean, that was a, the Grizz could have won two games like very easily in that series that they lost. So 
I think that it, there are there's gray areas between these two roles, but that's where Dyson is somewhere. I think you would say optimistically he's somewhere in the middle because he has shown, you know, he's a point guard by trade. So that's sort of in the Bane column. He's also entering the league much younger than either player did, which is why I think it's going to take a little bit of time. But he has sort of the guard skills. He has athletic pop. He is built more like McHale, but has more guard skills than McHale did coming into the league. But he hasn't shown the shooting touch of either player, both of whom were very efficient shooters by the time they entered the NBA. Both of them, of course, were older. Um, they, right. No, this, so, like, for people who don't know, like, Bain, in my opinion, Bain had the best shooting resume you could possibly, that, that we've ever seen going into the draft. And, like, he, there's kind of an asterisk there because, he stayed there in college for a long time. Therefore he had more years to build his resume. Right. So like a friend, like AJ Griffin has arguably the best freshman shooting resume. Uh, you can put together. Um, there's been a couple of Pete friend of the pod. PD web did a whole thing on that, um, on his Patreon, Patreon. And anyway, AJ Griffin had an exceptional, whatever, whatever, but Bane shot like no lower than 43% all of his four years on a total of, I think five or six hundred threes so and it was like movement shooting dribble no dribble step back going left going right nba range college range like all that shit so um and mccall in his own right was a was a his borderline historic his three-point stats were fucking completely ridiculous so um it's not to say dyson can't get there um or i i, I don't like i said earlier like i really don't think dyson's a bad shooter there was footage of him at the combine and he was He's made some tweaks to his shot, and it's already he's pointed in the right direction for sure. But like, the bar is really high for even creating secondary offense, um, and I, I just don't know. I can't figure out how. Like, like you're hinting at, like I can't figure out. Like you know, to bring it home, right? Like sixty sixth percentile outcome for for right. Dyson Daniels. That's good development, not outlier development. Is he getting his shot? With that kind of outcome, I think out of personally, I would say out of like attacking closeouts, yes, and maybe a little bit out of pick and rolls, like secondary pick and rolls and stuff like that, or like running with staggered units or something like that versus bench units. But are you tossing him the ball with in the fourth quarter with like time on the clock and saying, get me a, a bucket even with the pick and roll? I don't think so. And that's not to say only all-stars and MVP candidates do that. Like, you could do that with RJ. He's not an all-star yet. You could do that with Quickly. He's not an all-star yet. So, like, it's not saying he has to become, like, Dwayne Wade or some shit. But, like, I don't know, man. To me, good not great outcome is somewhere between Caruso and Lonzo, which is, you know, again, he's not going to last till 11, but, like, as far as 11th picks go, that would be a pretty successful pick. I actually disagree. I think a good, not great out. Because Lonzo and Caruso, I mean, they Lonzo shoots like 38% from three every year. That's like, true, on really high volume. <laughs> and, and Caruso, I don't know, what he, it's lower volume, but he shoots like just fine, probably 35 plus. Like, I think that the good, not great outcome for Dyson like I said, is kind of like 
a bigger, a bit more juicier Frank off the dribble. And Frank, look, Frank's 23. Most NBA role players, most of them, don't start contributing to winning teams until they're 22, 23, 24. And let the record show that Frank was contributing to winning for a conference finals team. That's right. He's like, he's an important guy. The only, like his problem right now is that Golden State is ignoring him and his threes aren't going in yet. Give him another year or two when he's 24, 25, when maybe he can't be ignored so easily. He could be a very valuable player. It just, it has taken time for him. And there is a cost to waiting out those teenage and early 20s years. That's, that's my issue with Dyson is there's just a cost of finding out. And I agree with you. I think it is unrealistic and unfair to him to expect that he's going to be have the offensive profile or talent of a guy like Bridges or, or Bain. I just brought oh, yeah. those two oh, up yeah. to, to, to distinguish the roles. But if he's just like an okay shooter, then the goal is to make him dangerous enough on offense to where he's not ignorable. That's where you would hope that his point guard background and his instincts, his connecting passing, his ability to attack a closeout, you know, mm-hmm. you know, take a couple steps, make a good decision, makes him not ignorable. Now that's still a really valuable player. That's a starter, but um, likely not a star. And so if you're taking him, like he's a right. I saw something about like there's whispers about taking him top five or something like that. I would not do that. I don't it's think a little rich for my taste. Yeah, I I don't think that does him any favors. I don't think that the offensive talent is quite there yet. But you keep saying you think he's going to shoot. So if he's going to be a good shooter by age 21, then that's not that crazy because the defense is that good and he's that big. You know, and he has guard skills. But I, I don't know. I think it's just asking a lot for the offense to get that good, you know, during his rookie contract. I'll say if that. A team, if a team picks him high, like top seven, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if it's partly influenced by two players recently. One is Giddy, whose offense is not – it's both ahead of schedule and not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like the passing and the driving is, is very great and arguably ahead of schedule – Putting the ball in the hoop is not. Um, <laughs> and Terry Taliburton, who everybody questioned whether his style, like part of it was his shooting mechanics, but part of it was also just his general style and vibes, you know, would translate into scoring. And, you know, he fell all the way to 12 or whatever. And a lot of teams bit themselves in the butt. He got traded for an all-star, blah, blah, blah. So I think teams might see someone like him who's like, wow, like he doesn't drive all the way, but. He looks like he's shooting. He can get to that floater. He's smart. You know he's going to be a plus on defense from day one. So, like, and he's 6'8". Look at the... And then you throw in, like, the playoff recency bias about, like, switchable big wings and shit like that. And right. I can see why some some people in some front offices are just, like, frothing at the mouth over him and being super... Giving him the benefit of the doubt, you know, where people like us might not... Not saying I agree with them, but, like, that would be my guess as to why. So I could, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Although I could, I could see wh- why some other folks might think the the good, not great development is more gifted, quicker on offense. But we've done about a 20 minute, 25 minute Dyson deep dive. So I'm gonna keep us moving, <laughs> and uh, 
go to well matter of fact i picked dyson so who do you want to pick for for the next guy i'll let you choose uh similar vibe i would like to talk about jeremy Sohan. Ooh, another player i don't know what the fuck to do with and i'm looking for the answers to the test about wonderful <laughs> yeah so i my little i mentioned it i think on a on a mock draft recently that i did this week um with which carolina lee branscom but so Sohan, I think, is getting a lot of love in the same way that Dyson is getting a lot of love because um, he's this switchable defensive wing. And I've seen, you know, this is the best wing defender in the class. That's been a common um, refrain for him. And I think as far as tape goes in terms of, you know, recognizing rotations, being on time and, you know, just sort of doing you know playing the most minutes doing the most things on defense that is probably true I think he probably does fit that bill um and you you know the whole guard one through five sort of fetishization that we have about prospects you can apply to him now that's a misnomer no one really guards one through five except for like three people in the world but the idea is if you're that versatile, you're going to be able to play around other star talent. Um, if you're as smart as he is, you're going to, you know, fit just about anywhere. And so he gets top 10 height. You know, he's 6'9", 230, 18 years old. He's, you know, likely to go in the top 10 or 12 or something like that. I don't know if the Knicks have been connected to him or anything, but, you know, he's probably going to be right around in that range. So... I am a a bit lower on Sohan um, because I think, you know, when I watch him, the defense is all there and that's very good. But I think he is relying a lot um, on his brain, which is, you know, he's very smart, so he should. And he is only a good, but not a, a very good athlete. He is not in John Kaminga's no, no, stratosphere no. in terms of burst, power, ability to get off the ground. Like, it just isn't that way. And uh, like a month or two ago, I, I actually went back and watched uh, some Draymond tape from Michigan State to see, like, wh- like was, this, was the special really evident about Draymond on film? Like, we know he fell to the second round. We know the team's got it wrong. But knowing what we know now, was it there on tape? And it was there on tape. <laughs> like I, it was it was from the last year before he declared. I think he stayed three years, maybe four, at Michigan State. But he was like their point guard. He like he looked like he was Charles Barkley in transition. You saw the acceleration, how well he processed the game. Um, and Sohan's brain, I think, is kind of similar, but his burst is not. You know, you watch Sohan, and when he attacks off the dribble, if there's not a real tilted defense, you know, or like a real closeout that he can just blow by, it sort of looks like how like Boris Diaw looked, like later stage Boris. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I found myself wondering with Sohan, I'm like, he doesn't seem like he can make an offensive impact immediately, and he seems passive to me on offense. And then I looked at the field goals per 100, and it's 17, which is the same with Franz, who notably 
was able to do shit on offense as a rookie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But then, you know, just looking at their respective college tapes, it's very obvious that like, you know, what, what did we hear so much for, for fans of Franz and his team? Like, no, like, be, like do more. Like you can do more. It's there. Stop. Like go, go right. Or I mean, go left or take the jump shot. Don't pass up the shot with Sohan. It's not really do more on offense, pass up the shot. And it's not like, wow, you can overwhelm these kids on offense. You're choosing not to. And it's frustrating me. It's a lot of his scores are like, I'm six foot nine, six foot ten, and I'm doing like semi post up half spins, and there's just nothing you can do about it because you're not playing basketball in North America or Europe next year, <laughs> like you know, like <laughs> shit, shit like that. So it's yeah. not he he took the same shots as Franz, but it's but I didn't get the same sense of you could do more on offense if you wanted to that I did from Franz, which became clearly evident once. I don't know whoever his hype man is in Orlando. Maybe it's probably Cole Anthony, to be honest, just knowing Cole Anthony, but like, like he, he began to impose himself and I'm sure if he could go back to school, he would have taken 25 shots a game or something like that. And with Sohan, I'm I'm with you. I'm like, good, not great athlete, a lot of skills on offense. And I, and I also think he's actually going to shoot fine in time, if not sooner rather than later. But like, Getting his own shot? I don't know about all that. Uh, not in the NBA. So it's hard for me to to get super excited. Um, I'm not really worried about him going to the Knicks because um, the Knicks, at least so far, have a type. And it's usually guys who can shoot pull-ups or are like Obi Toppin type dominant interior forces. Mm-hmm. And he's really neither, so... Uh, I'd be really surprised if they took him. So, but as for the, you know, the test question here, like, what does it look like? Good, not great. I'd say probably like the shot comes around, mm-hmm. the free throws get up to at least seventy percent, and he becomes like a closeout attacker who can move the ball. Something in the family tree of Aaron Gordon, but not quite as physically imposing as Aaron Gordon. But that same kind of role that Aaron Gordon played, like we know what Aaron Gordon in a larger role looks like because of where he landed when he got drafted. Mm-hmm. But the the Denver Aaron Gordon role is kind of more what I'm thinking of, where it's like the shot attempts aren't there unless there's injuries, in which case that would mean trouble for Sohan's team. Aaron Gordon was able to scale up a little bit, which is like credit to him. But when they have their squad, you know, he's not really taking more than. 12 shots a game and he's keeping the ball moving and he's defending everybody literally and shit like that. So that would be, I I don't think that's a crazy outcome for him. And that's, that's still a really useful player. But again, similarly to Dyson, I'm like, is that a star? Well, and here's the, and so here's the, a a, a small distinguishing factor in my mind between Gordon and Sohan. And like both are going to be young entering the league, right? Gordon was probably in his year one of the two or best two or three best pure athletes in the class. <laughs> yeah. I mean w- ridiculous. Anyone who watches the slam dunk contest or follows his, you know, disraps about the outcomes of the slam dunk contests knows I didn't know that was a thing. I now have to check that out. Uh you uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
only so many hours in the day, but um, yeah. So Gordon and I like it's unfair to Sohan again. He's so young, and so who knows what physical developments he might make? Maybe he sheds ten pounds and gains some explosiveness or something because he's listed at two thirty. I'm sure two twenty would do him just fine. But Gordon. Um, Draymond, Ben Simmons, like the guys who are in contention for all defense teams tend to be pretty ridiculous athletes at forward. If you're a forward that like, cause that's where you're, if Sohan's in the league and he's a really good defender, great. There are other really good defenders who also happen to be top one percentile athletes. And those are the guys who become all defense. So if he's not that, then he's becoming you know, a guy who can be on the court in crunch time. And I think that's what is boosting his draft stock is because most GMs know I can take this guy and he can play for my team in big moments. So I'm not going to get like burned for drafting him. But is he really like raising the ceiling of your team? If he's going to be another guy who's sort of ignorable off the ball, what is the bar that he has to clear to be better than that? Is he ever going to be someone who can look for his own shot? Like Mikhail, who's sort of the ultimate version of this defense first versatile player, because he's so efficient on offense, does his defense lose a bit of value as you advance in the playoffs? Because all of a sudden you're playing the best wings in the world and the best wings in the world don't give a shit how technically sound your defense is because they're the best wings in the world. And you just need to be that athletic to stop him. The the contrast to make with Sohan to me, and I don't know if I'm going to have this guy above him or not, is Josh Minot. Because Minot, again, doesn't have is the same... Is that how you say it? Is it, Min, is it Minot? How do you say I have, it? I, I've been saying Minot, but that's not based on me hearing anyone say it. I just kind of... I don't thought, know. I, I've that. heard it, my not, but I've only heard other podcasters say my not. <laughs> so we might be down a rabbit. I had a disaster where I called, you know, Usman Jang Usmane for like an hour on a podcast <laughs> like two weeks ago. So I don't want to like mess. I'll just call him Josh. <laughs> Josh from go. Memphis. Josh um, is that athletic. He is a crazy athlete. And I was doing a little, um, a little Bart search you know, in preparation for this podcast, because both he and Sohan had big, you know, block and steal numbers as freshmen. But Minot's, or pardon me, Josh's, were a little bit more extreme. He had a block a percentage of over five and a steal percentage of about three. And he had 25 dunks. Now, in many more minutes, Sohan had only 15 dunks the whole year. And his block and steal numbers were not quite as extreme. Though if you play more minutes, then maybe Josh's would have come down a little bit. But with his numbers, I did a little search that were that was block three and a half and steal of two and a half. Josh was at was at five and three respectively. Um, Real quick, it, it yeah, just hit ahead. me. I don't know if everybody listening is familiar with him. So the one the thirty second elevator pitch on Josh is he was on Memphis, which was a clusterfuck for most of the year and then became extremely good the second half of the year. The team was known mostly for Money Bates, uh, the highly touted, uh, perhaps overtaxed young prospect mm-hmm. coached by Penny Hardaway. Um, 
Josh was a <laughs> depending who you ask, six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot ten, skinny, bouncy wing slash small big with ridiculous mm-hmm. like nuclear athleticism and also sneakily like very good very very good passing flashes and they didn't let him they didn't let him shoot and they didn't let him dribble much but when he did dribble he was comfortable doing it and if you youtube his high school tape you'll know why they didn't let him shoot because he has the weirdest fucking shot form ever. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the pro day tape, he's kind of cleaned that up a lot, even though he still has some funk. So he's kind of just this big like question mark of athleticism and tools. He's also not super young. He's not old. I think he's 20. So Oh, is he? Yeah, he's he's not like a baby, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm um, gonna look this up real quick. Yeah, and his his steal and block rates are completely completely insane. Like he gets his hands on lots of balls and shots because he's so athletic. He's I don't know his wingspan, but it's definitely above seven feet, probably like seven two, maybe even seven three. Um, and you, he's just one of those guys who you're like, it'd be very easy for a GM to see switchable super athlete wing who can knock down a shot and keep the ball moving and like wreck havoc. But I, you could also see a GM being like, they didn't even let this motherfucker shoot any threes this year or jump shots. Pass. I'll let somebody else gamble on that in the first round or whatever. Yeah, so it's weird. I've seen two conflicting birthdays. One November 2002, which means he turns 20 in November, which is sort of traditional freshman age. Another is January of 2002, which means he's already 20 and turning 21 in January. So... Uh, that's a that's a difference. I actually thought he was eighteen, but so everything you said about him is is correct. And his the it's weird to find. I guess it's kind of like kind of like Dyson, but he's not a point guard. But he you know has handling that looks all right, has good passing vision, and even though his shot is funky on small volume, sixty five attempts, shot seventy five percent from the line, which. Anyone who knows anything about Sohan or Sohan, I hope I'm not messing up that kid's name too. Um, Jeremy, his free throws are just not his friend. He shoots, you know, 58% from the line. And you do a, an approximation of Josh's steal rates. I said 10 made dunks. You know, Josh had 25 in very limited minutes. Um, free throw percentage of above uh, 70, which knocks out. Sohan. Uh, and then sort of an assist to turnover ratio of at least one and an assist percentage of at least 10. And I went back 10 years and uh, you get one other guy this year. This is among freshmen, by the way, which is Will Richard at Belmont, who's sort of a draft Twitter fave. He's transferring to uh, Florida next year and I would keep an eye on him. There's a couple guys who are smaller uh, who couldn't shoot, and so they never made it. Uh, you know, Josh Reeves, Greg Elliott, Andre Nation, who I had not heard of. And there's one guy who did make it. Uh, he plays for the, you know, the draft-savvy Memphis Grizzlies, and his name is DeAnthony Melton. Melton, as everyone knows, you know, is 6'3", 6'4", right in that range, and was a true point guard. 
So, you know, his guard skills were a bit more advanced. He also didn't shoot great in his lone year. He shot 28% from three, 70% from the line, went in the second round. But his defense and his sort of instincts, his floor mapping, stuck him around until he got there with Memphis. And now he's this like super valuable bench contributor, could probably start on a lot of teams. And so if Josh shoots, and you're talking about outcomes, if you are reasonably bullish on his shooting, then you have a profile that does not come around very often in a six foot eight, six nine body with the athleticism potentially to at least guard wings that are going to be out of Sohan's class to really guard or stop. Now, I don't think a lot of people would have Josh ranked over Jeremy. I understand why. And with Josh being a little bit older, that does take the wind out of his sails a bit because he's also a little skinny. You know, he's probably, you know, not 200 pounds. So I get that too. But if you're looking at what sorts of players you really want to have on your team, if you want to have a like a real chance in the like the biggest moments, take a swing on this kid and see if you can teach him to shoot. That's that's what I'm saying. If you want to if you want to play the outcome game and you want to say that shooting sort of improves for everyone, and it's not that Josh really shot poorly. It's like you said, they didn't let him. He only shot 14 threes the whole year. Now, he only made two of them, but, you know, Grant Williams was 0 for his first 25 from three in the NBA, and he just made a million threes in a game seven in the second round. So if, if you think the shooting is on the table for Josh, then there is you really have something that other teams will not have. And, and so that's why with this 66% question, what does 66 percentile look for someone like Josh? Is he a bench wing who's just super athletic and can hang on defense? Because super athletic bench wings who can hang on defense become starting wings. That's how precious the resource is. So that's that's my interesting question in comparing those two guys. This is a good one. Um, I'm high, I have Minot and Sohan ranked similarly, and I think I'm a little higher on uh, Mino for the reason, because I think he's going to shoot. Um, I think Sohan's going to shoot too, but I'm just tie-breaking with athleticism, to be honest. So yeah, uh, the good thing is you can probably get Mino a lot later than Sohan. So, you will, yeah. So some, you know he's going to end up on some team that like has better infrastructure and like a playoff team where that sort of gamble makes a bigger difference and is a little easier to stomach if it fails than, you know, a team like the Knicks picking 11th or something like that. Oh, you mean so, like the Grizzlies who pick 25 and 30th? Don't put it into the universe. <laughs> I don't need them taking him or Tari. I know they're going to get one of those fuckers with their picks, plural. So it's bring, just bring Tari to the garden, man. The, do the Knicks like him? Are there whispers? No, there's like, no, this, this Knicks front office hardly leaks. The only time you'll, hear shit in the the only time we've heard stuff about who the Knicks like um publicly anyway the last couple of years has been literally when they're spotted with a prospect in a public place like we're getting food with a prospect which <laughs> they do with a lot of prospects because a, a lot of teams do that um so they're notoriously 
Like, like right before the OB, the OB draft, we heard a little bit about them liking OB, but we also heard a lot about them liking Devin Vassell and also heard a lot about them liking Kyra Lewis. Again, both of those, Kyra and the OB ones were like real rumors. Kyra and Devin was a combination of real rumors and like they saw them hanging out with those two players getting mm. food. So, um, it, it's the, most of Nick's Twitter is really going off of the types of guys they've drafted and the types of guys Walt Perrin, the assistant GM, who's probably responsible for a lot of the scouting, um, drafted while in Utah because there's a lot of uh, common threads. Like with bigs, they haven't really taken quote-unquote skill bigs. It's usually been like Mitchell Robinson, Jericho Sims, Rudy Gobert. So like very clearly a type. <laughs> And then, um, aside from that, uh, you have Obi, who's kind of his own category. Um, you know, he was player of the year and quote-unquote fell or whatever to them at eight. And then, everybody, literally everybody else is, like, guys who can pull up shoot. Like, mm-hmm. like all like guys who can pull up shoot. Like, dating back to the Jazz days with, like, Donovan Mitchell. And then, Deuce, Rokas, Quickly. Like it all, Knox. Well, Knox was a different front office, really. So I'm, I'm not even gonna fucking talk about Kevin Knox. But like, you look at the the draft picks, and then you also look at the free agent guys. It's like Alec Burks, Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. Evan Fournier. Like these are all top fucking pull up shooters of different sizes. So, um, because the Knicks have Julius, they've never really had. And, and even when they drafted Obi, the idea back then was Julius is on his way out. So we don't really know how they will approach the big wing question. So there's kind of an asterisk here, which is why I'm like, maybe they will take Tari because he's large and athletic like Obi. He's a ridiculous interior scorer like Obi. He can shoot a little bit like Obi. Um, but he's a little more versatile than Obi, right? And then... I mean, he doesn't have the pull-up shooting or anything, but I think he's. I think it's possible. But I, I see a lot of the other guys that might be in that range, whether it's like Matherin, Johnny Davis, Jalen Williams. You know, now that he's rising, like mm-hmm. uh, Branham, like Keegan. I mean, he's not going to fall to eleven, but like there's a sneakily good crop of so- AJ Griffin, right? Like there's a lot of guys who are going to come into the league sort of good at pull-up shooting on the low so you know i i feel like this is a this is a kid in a candy shop kind of draft for for this astute front office so we'll we'll see but um I, i'm curious you know since you brought him up ty we, we covered sohan and and mino a little bit um mm-hmm. what their good outcomes not even great outcomes just good outcomes look like and how useful they are even if they're not a star um what do you think about Tari and his good, not great outcome? I, I know him. you're high on him. I love like, him. Like I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, good, not great outcome is tougher with him because I think it has to do with him uh, improving his handle. And maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a better question for you than me, but like tweaking his shot to where he can comfortably get to it off the dribble. Yes. If he, if he can do that, and I don't know how likely that is, that may be an 85th percent or a 90th percent outcome rather than a 66th. 
But that's if, a lot of ticket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if he can do that, then you're. I mean, then I think he is just a wonder, like easily a top half of Lotto prospect. Like it, it's this. It's a similar principle. Like I like Tari more than Sohan because I just think that he is a better athlete at the end of the day. I think he has burst that that Sohan doesn't have. I think he has the strength. I mean, and Jeremy is strong, but Tari has the strength and the disruptiveness to, I think, be a better defender than Jeremy does on the wing or down low. And his threes already go in. Like you don't have to say, well, I think it'll, I think it'll come around. Like he was 36% from three on plenty of volume and 80% from the line on plenty of volume. That's and, hard to fluke. Yeah. And you posted the, uh, the stills of uh, the shot that was like in the launch position mm-hmm. where it was two of Tari, one of bones and one of, uh, you know, Mr. Trey Murphy, the third, the valid Artorian himself. <laughs> so like you, you don't need to, you know, you're preaching to the choir if you're looking at stuff like that. But he, uh, I think if there's a reason why he is talked about more in sort of the 12 to 20 range and is not being discussed in the top 10 the way that Sohan is, is Jeremy has fewer mistakes on his defensive tape. Tari does make some mistakes. He will gamble and he will pick up silly fouls trying to gamble or trying to block or steal or whatever. But that is not indicative to me of a quote-unquote, low-feel player. Not to me. Tari does that stuff because he thinks he can get away with it. And he thinks that he can... And more often than not, he's right. And he thinks that he can turn the other team over. He thinks that he can recover. And he just sort of has a, like, very endearing lack of respect for the uh, sophistication of opposing offenses, which in college, more often than not, is not a terrible bet to make. Now, sometimes it costs him, and LSU was a very switchable team anyway, so it's like they had length to recover, and for all of Tari's quote-unquote low-field plays, LSU is a top 10, top 15 defensive team in the country for most of the year, with plenty of turmoil going on behind the scenes, considering you know their coach got fired right before the NCAA tournament. And if you flip it, and you talk about young prospects on offense on the ball. Is a high turnover rate regarded universally as a negative? No. A high turnover rate often is, well, they're just exploring the, the limits of their talent. They're exploring the studio space. You want them to do that. You want guys to be more aggressive. But all of a sudden, if you switch to the other side of the ball, Tari's getting punished for it, which I think is a mistake. I think it is a creating a flaw in his eval. I think that he is a and LSU's offense was very janky. And so it's hard to say, you know, that he was a higher low field offensive player, but the productivity speaks for itself. I think if you put him in a pro system and he begins to understand exactly what his role needs to be in order to be a winner there, you know, he could gamble and be a winner in college in the pros. Once he figures that out, I, I think he is a, a no brainer wing starter at age like 22 or 23. And if you're a no-brainer wing starter then, then by the time you're 27, you can be an all-star. 
I got so, two thoughts for you. Yeah. One is like, okay, assume he doesn't, his handle improves, but he never gets the pull-up shooting. Sure. Um, sure. So, so what is the good, not great outcome in that situation? Dorian Finney-Smith. How tall is DFS? Six seven. Okay, so he's like about the same height, maybe a little less athletic. Yeah, or more than a little less athletic. Yeah, it'd be it's it's one of these again defense first, survive on offense guys. That's yeah. what that's what I would say, and those tend to be your quote unquote you know fourth starters on a team because. You know, your fifth starter is probably someone like that, but who's closer to maybe like a Wes Matthews who can't really guard big wings. They're more suited for twos and threes. So a player like DFS. Say again, sorry. A player like DFS at, you know, say 11 for the Knicks pick. Is that a disappointment? You tell me. What do you think? For me, I guess it would be a disappointment, but I wouldn't... It'd be a bu- not a bust, but still a disappointment because we have so many players. The way I'm approaching, perhaps over simplistically, the draft from a Knicks fan perspective is like we have a lot of players who are solid. They're mostly on the shorter side, so we could definitely use some solid guys who are larger. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like we like like i'm i'm taking the upside bets tari is both right so I, i'm not hence yeah, why he's yeah, 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 on my yeah, board yeah, totally but like that's why I, if that happened i'd be like oh i'm sure somebody else like not you know got the 80th percentile outcome or whatever so i'm, I'm just thinking it out. i don't think i don't think it's super likely that he gets pull-up ability but i'm not ruling it out either just because like i learned from halliburton like don't underestimate like what it like like a pull up is just a catch and shoot with some dribbles before it. So <laughs> you're really just trying to <laughs> work on the transfer from the dribbles to the shot. And if you can figure that shit out somehow, even if it looks funny, um, then all bets are off. Um, I want to pivot us real quick to some of these smaller players who mm-hmm. may or may not be in the Knicks range. Two guys jump out that are. Uh, well, let's say let's let's lump three guys together here. Um, AJ Griffin, Johnny mm-hmm. Davis, Ben Matherin. Mm-hmm. Do some uh, slightly less deep dives because this is already a, a deep dive of a pod. How are you feeling about some of those guys in terms of good but not great outcomes? Uh okay. So AJ, I think, is the He's the the hardest one for me out of those three um, because his good but not great outcome is still like a like a like a very good shooter. Like to me, the 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 good to great part, the difference between good and great, has to do with his defensive ability and whether or not he's going to be able to stay in front of guys and whether his feet are a little too slow. You know. His shooting, I have, I just have very little concern about. I think the the question about his his shooting base, how wide he spreads his feet, I don't really care about that. Yeah, me either. He's really good at shooting. To yeah. me, I'm like the defense is is exactly it for me because even if he never recaptures like the athleticism of pre injury AJ Griffin, or even if he never becomes a a big rim guy 
rim pressure guy. I asked myself the question. I'm like, why can't he be Bane? Why, why can't he be who? Desmond Bain. Like, oh, Bain. Bain. They're yeah. both ridiculous, like, irresponsibly good, preposterous shooters from yeah. everywhere of all kinds. Bain is definitely lighter on his feet and more physical on defense. And, like, AJ, lack of injury history and all yes, that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. AJ has yeah. got him by a couple inches and more than a couple of inches of wingspan. Um, so, to me, that's the, the, the answer to that question is, like, Bain is not a negative. No, no. On defense. So, uh, you know, he, he's not going to get fucking all NBA votes unless Memphis fans go crazy, but like, which is entirely possible. But, I, I, like, you can be a solid defensive player and still get hunted. And the example I always go to recently is Cam Johnson, who mm-hmm. he's made himself large amounts of money by bucking the predictions of him being a horrible defender and simply being a meh defender instead and in some instances was legit positive in the regular season as a big wing who's pretty switchy and he's more way more athletic than he was at unc um but guess what he still got hunted in the playoffs because it's a tough fucking game out there bro so like (laughs) (laughs) uh, if i'm thinking about like aj griffin like somewhere in the bane cam johnson universe of like great shooter although we won't talk Sorry, Suns fans listening. We won't talk about how Cam wasn't a great shooter in the playoffs. But, um, you know, like, potentially nuclear shooter. And you're like, can we survive with him on defense as a weak link? And that's a real question in terms of, like, playoff utility. But for draft purposes, I'm like, good, not great outcome, Cam Johnson? That's pretty good. Yeah, I... I... Yeah, I think that's right. Look, if AJ's there, if all three of these guys are there at the Knicks pick, then that's like a that's a home run for the Knicks. And yeah, I would just take AJ Griffin. I have AJ Griffin, I think, fifth on my board. Mm. Um, so I believe in it. Like the cost I was talking about with Dyson about figuring out those first few years where they they have to go from ignorable to non-ignorable on offense. AJ won't have that problem, obviously. Like, you can't... Day one, defenses won't be able to ignore him as a 19-year-old on offense. And that sort of guaranteed repetition as a young player is so valuable for rounding out the rest of your game. That is, It is still the best way to improve, is to get all that exposure. So, I who, whatever team takes him, if he slides for medicals or uh Mm -hmm. defensive concerns they're going to have a a great shooting prospect and you just see where the shooting takes you because it's already going to put them on the court and then everything after that is well we have this wing let's see how good he's going to be and he's not going to be like a bane level contributor for years because again bane came into the league ready to go but that's still a bet to make in the lotto as long as you're willing to, you know, be a little bit patient. For um, Davis and Matherin, um, I have gone back and forth, but I think I'm going to end up preferring Davis to Matherin, both for median and probably for high-end outcome, um, because I just have concerns about Matherin uh, inside the arc. Not finishing at the hoop, obviously, with like assisted finishes and you know back cuts and stuff like that, but just him on the ball inside the arc. What do you think of Matherin's 
66th percentile outcome there. Do you think he gets away from the floater and gets into his pull-up and the space really helps him there? So I've been struggling with that. Um, on our last pod, we had a at Mo Loves NBA, shout out Momo, um, who's a huge Matherin fan. And, and he helped move me a little bit towards more optimistic. And part of his argument, well, part of my part of my homework when I was getting ready for the pod, and his argument is like, it's very easy to look at Matherin's limitations in terms of like, he's not taking lots of pull-up twos and he's not really isolating and getting to the rim. But he shot 52% on two-pointers. Mm-hmm. Paolo shot 53. Ivy shot 53. <laughs> Johnny Davis shot 42. Obviously, Johnny Davis had the high, hardest, most preposterous shot diet known to man and the worst spacing ever. And, you know, Arizona didn't have great spacing either. But, like, uh, I think some of it kind of... This is where I'm at with Matherin. Is some of it kind of boringly comes down to, like, when you can jump like that, you make up for the lack of self-created twos by just putting home some twos that are easy for you that are not easy for other players. Right. Like, your cuts don't result in a finesse layup. No, it results in a no-doubt and one poster on national TV, right? So, like, <laughs> and, and then he he also draws free throws. That's the other thing, even right. though he doesn't really dribble. So, I, I actually really both do and don't feel good. Like his handle to me is he's really like needs a lot of work, but that doesn't prevent him from being effective inside the arc. It's just, he can't, I don't think he's going to be able to self create in the like true sense, a lot of that um, for himself. So that could be a negative. If you look at, you know, if you're the Knicks front office and you like your guard development skills and perhaps your assistant coach is Johnny Bryant, who trained Dame, Donovan Mitchell, Emmanuel Quickly, and RJ Barrett to all successfully self-create, perhaps you like Matherin more. I don't know. But like to me, he's he's the one guy who I'm like, uh I am content, albeit bored with this pick. Because I'm like, I, I just really want to take some guy who has real self-creation in the cards. And I don't know if that is with him. Right. Which is why I'm still a little higher on Johnny. Cause you know, he gets his own shot. The joint don't go in that much compared to other players. But my bet is that a lot of that was context dependent and injury related. And perhaps I'm being generous to will a superstar into the Knicks existence. But, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but in terms of, Matherin's good, not great outcome to me. It's definitely one that doesn't really have much self creation. Does have some like connectory Lonzo Ball energy, but with more true movement shooting, mm-hmm. and also some like I don't know if he'll be a big time pull up shooter, but I think he'll be able to do the like they can't go under the pick one dribble pull up shooter kind of deal. Yes, yeah, and he already has some of that. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So like again. Solid player, or maybe more than solid when you consider the transition and the cutting and the dunks. Whether he becomes like a nice role player or a fucking great role player, like Mikhail Bridges to me turns on if the defense is all right or if the defense is more than all right. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of see. But I, I do think the rarity of 
Like, how many movement shooters can put down a poster? To me, I can really only think of two. Terrence Ross, randomly, and Malik (laughs) Monk. That's, like, it. I'm sure there's more who I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think Cam Johnson can. Cam can get up. Now, he's not, like, nuclear power athlete, but being 6'9 allows him to. Yeah, he's... I will say, he's definitely has some serious athleticism games and he's had a couple posters where i'm like oh shit i didn't know you could do that cam he doesn't have the hops that matherin and monk and ross have but like you said he's six nine so that helps so he's definitely another one in that sense for sure and and ross was someone who i thought of for matherin as well um the the guys you listed you know um that johnny bryant has trained you know they were all on the ball in college like Mm -hmm. a real amount i mean matherin I mean, maybe he didn't have multiple other great shooters at Arizona, but Arizona is a pretty good environment for an off-ball player like <laughs> Oh Matherin. yeah, oh yeah. Like with the passing that they had, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. and Coloco's a like a, a an easy passing target in the middle mm-hmm. of the floor. That's where Matherin's um, passing really took a leap. Is that he got into two man games with Coloco, who could finish a lot on Matherin's lobs. pick and roll. Like, you can look up on Synergy, pick and roll. His pick and roll percentile was really good. But then you look at his pick and roll percentile with passes included, and it goes from, like, very good to excellent rating. And I'm like, he that that is, like, solely because of Coloco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that's, by the way, that's a good thing. That's a credit to Matherin. Like, yeah, yeah, good, it's totally. good to be in good contexts. It helps you become a, a better player. You're probably going to play with a Coloco in the NBA. And... Right. Yeah. And so going back, since we've discussed him so much to Bain, when Bain was at TCU, the one hole in his shooting resume was in the mid range Mm -hmm. because he didn't often have the spacing. He was trying to get to the rim. He couldn't finish, you know, that well, he was a very strong athlete, but not a super explosive one, but he had all these guard skills and he could dribble and keep his dribble alive Mm -hmm. with Matherin. I think that Matherin is a better prospect than James Booknight was last year. So I'm going to start there. I like him more. My concern with Booknight is that he was, he almost billed himself as an off ball player. And he was running off all types of fucking screens and shit to the point where I was like, why? (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think that off ball, good off ball players in the NBA really are off-ball college players who just get drafted and fill that role. More often than not, it's good on-the-ball players in college who become hyper-efficient off the ball. Like because AJ all because dribbling and passing, like all this stuff remains connected. You still need to know how many dribbles do you have to keep alive when attacking a closeout, or if you're coming off a pin down, how many dribbles to take, or how do you keep the threat of your drive alive to make your shot a little bit easier? Like all that stuff matters. And if Matherin, I don't think Matherin is like this. I don't really have this concern for him. But if for whatever reason. He thinks is he thinks of himself as an off ball player, and then tries to become a good off ball player immediately without rounding out the rest of his game. If he just tries to fill that role, then I think he's doing himself a disservice, and he's ma- he's putting himself at the mercy of his jumper about whether or not he's going to get minutes. Because off ball players who are cold from the field, they, it's Duncan Robinson. You're just you're on the bench. You're, that's just it. Right. So. 
that's that's a concern with me that the team that drafts him is just going to try to put him in an off ball role, which is what the Hornets have done with book Knight and why they're in trouble there. And so that's, that's a question. I agree. The athleticism does make up for it a little bit. And I think if the were the Knicks to take him, I still think you can be optimistic. It's just, you know, on ball reps are not granted to everyone to improve on in the NBA. And the, the guys who get the chance to beef them up, are the guys who were probably already like pretty good at it in college and who are getting, you know, 35 minutes a night because they contribute in all these other ways anyway. And so that that's what I would keep an eye on with him. Um, I have a, I have another little BART search with Johnny to, you know, make you feel better if you want, but I, I want to stay on Mathern if you want to as well. Yeah, a little bit. So, like, my initial lowness on Matherin was partly connected to my highness on Quentin Grimes, who I really liked last year and made mm-hmm. me look really smart. And Quentin Grimes has shown, like, pretty much nothing inside the arc. And I just don't care because he shoots a zillion threes and makes a zillion threes mm-hmm. and has connected passing and is a very good defender um, with similar measurements to Matherin, um, even if he's uh, a year older. So I'm like, what are the odds that Matherin is better than Quentin Grimes. And I, to me, like, because I couldn't answer that with an easy yes, I was kind of out on Matherin. But what you said about the combination of, of two things. One, what we talked about earlier about, like, even without the ball skills, he's still going to get easy twos and free throws because of his athleticism, which is, like, 100 times better than Quentin Grimes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a differentiator and then two the developmental pathway like if you whoever picks math you can start him off more off ball but you you shouldn't surrender his on ball development we've seen the Knicks do a version of that with quickly um he probably had a little more on ball juice to start his career than math did he was also a little older um his handle was definitely better than Matherin's and he actually played point guard in high school right but like quickly has shifted his on-ball usage quite a lot in the couple of years he's been there, um, which is why he gets, you know, the microwave guard label, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is more like if the Knicks draft him or anyone else, I I could see him being the kind of pick that satisfies a front office because his floor, his like, average outcome is like oh probably a solid defender and movement shooter who if he's hurt if he's not shooting then you know you put him on the bench like duncan robinson and but he's but duncan robinson still got paid right so like he's still a good player (laughs) and duncan robinson can't poster somebody is the other thing so like that's as far as safe outcomes like i feel comfortable projecting that but as long as you acknowledge like we're not sitting on just that right because if you look at for folks who don't know um after Matherin's freshman season people were wondering if he was going to go in the draft he had less volume but higher rate stats and everybody was like a team should just lotto promise him right now and jump on it and they were that was not wrong right like look at him now he's probably a top 10 pick Mm -hmm. but his he had 
like consensus levels of upside as a extremely he was a young freshman with great shooting and a great athleticism like that's a solid foundation and he didn't develop the on-ball juice that people projected he would he did work on his processing and his passing and that improved um so it's not like he staggered or stagnated or anything so i just think uh i don't know like you, you would need to, it'd be kind of frustrating in some ways, be, and perhaps this is why I'm like, this is an anticlimactic, if good pick for me, because you you won't know, like he can say like, yeah, I'm working on my ball handling, and the coaches can say, yeah, we're working on his ball handling, and his trainer can say, guess what, we're working on his ball handling, but like, we won't really know, because ball handling's inherently a two or three year thing, we won't know if the experiment works or not, or not for a couple of years and he'll be solid in the meantime. It's just one of those things where like, you know, there are worse problems than having several dead eye movement shooters to rotate in your wing rotation, right. With Grimes and him. So again, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be out here fucking crying on the internet or anything, but I, I would just be crossing my fingers hard that, that the payoff was coming down the pipeline and I just hate delayed gratification. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing I guess to note on Matherin is that despite his athleticism, he wasn't like a consistently good defender at Arizona. He had his moments, right. but right. that's going to be what he needs to show his first couple of years, particularly if the Knicks take him that keeps him on the floor instead of a guy like Grimes. Because yeah. that, I mean, you he will absolutely need to defend if most of his offensive value is coming off the ball. Like, yes, Duncan Robinson got paid. I don't think the Heat are very happy with his contract. <laughs> jo- <laughs> right. Joe Harris got paid. I don't think the Nets are thrilled with his contract. Davis Bertans got paid. I don't think anyone, aside from him, is very happy with his contract. So, like... Matherin is going to need to bring that defense early and marry his athletic talent with defensive production. Now, I think those weird things where like the Knicks are so good at defense, you know, for all my annoyance with Tibbs, he like mostly gets guys to buy into their role. Yeah. You know, without Kemba, they had a top five offense. I mean, defense. And that was with lots of Evan Fournier and Evan Fournier has been, the worst defender on a good defense a bunch of times in his career. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, but when you're talking about playoffs, Evan Fournier got a big X on his back. I don't care what your regular season defense rating is. So that's ultimately what, what I think you're talking about, right? When you mm-hmm. say like, it's not like, oh, is he going to sink your team's defensive rating? No, we're talking about real winning in the playoffs here. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, it's not just, the, it's also just like, in the regular season, he's going to join a crowded guard wing rotation yeah. in New York. So it'll be very easy for Tibbs to justify giving, you know, Deuce McBride and Grimes and Burks minutes over him because they're defending and we're trying to win. You know, that that's all. It's just, it's it's that sort of thing. Yeah, the roster crunch is, is definitely the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, Fournier, Burks, Rose, quickly deuce Mm -hmm. grimes that's a lot of talent and they have to i'm just almost operating on the assumption that they have to unfuck the roster a little bit because they have to otherwise like that's it like even the the 
the wing rotation is, is fucking crowded with like you traded a first for Cam, so I'm assuming he's not in the doghouse. RJ Barrett's gonna play 84 minutes a game. <laughs> and if Randall's here, he's gonna play. If he's not here, Obi Toppin is probably gonna score 23 points a game and play like at least 25 minutes in his own right. So like now you're limited to backup wing minutes. So it's just there's a lot going on there and adding the roster crunch into these conversations just makes it one layer of complication too complicated for me to deal with on this podcast for (laughs) mental health purposes. So I'm just kind of ignoring that. Um, (laughs) The last, the last guy uh, we did that. We did Matherin. Oh, you wanted to, um, you had a pull for for Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, So the question with Johnny is like, he's not the best athlete at 6'5", though he's good. And he's not the best shooter, though he's pretty good. I mean, he still shot 80% on the line from the line on like 200 attempts. Um, So I did a poll that just married uh, his defensive stats only. And I mean, steal and block rates aren't everything, but just married those with his usage. Because if there's one thing that defined Johnny's season at Wisconsin, it's that he had like <laughs> astronomical usage. So it was um, a block percentage of 1.5. He was over two and a steal percentage of two. And he was right at two. And you would figure with lower usage that goes up a little bit. Um, So block of one and a half, steal of two, usage of 28. He was at 31 and a half. Interestingly, three players this year uh, fit those parameters. Tari. Tari is one. Johnny's another. And the other real usage monster, you know, who's projected to go on the top 10, Keegan Murray. Oh, yes. Yeah. So those three. Um, in 2021, one player who was a lotto pick met those. Do you care to guess who that was? One and a half. One and steal, a half block. Oh, one and a half block, two steal. Big usage. usage. Yeah. So it's not Barnes, it's not Franz. I don't even know who the fuck won in the lotto last year. <laughs> Let me. Uh, okay. Don't tell me yet. Don't tell me yet. Don't tell me. I won't. I won't. I won't. Um, we could put like the Jeopardy music in the background or some shit here. <laughs> um, Suggs had a lot of usage, but I don't think he had that much usage. Oh. Was it Davion? It was not. Do you want to know the answer? <coughs> Is it Cade? It was Cade Cunningham. Oh, shit. <coughs> I knew it was one of those two. In uh, in 2020, one player in the country did this who also went in the lotto. You care to guess that one? In 2020. Mm. Um, shoot. Let me think. A lot of usage, steals and blocks. Yep. Not Tyrese, not Kira. Not definitely not Cole. Is it Obi? It was Anthony Edwards. He was my second guess. So we've got these three. We've got Cade. We've got Ant. You go back to 2019. We don't have to keep doing this, but it was Zion, Jared Culver, 
And then Caleb Wesson from Ohio State hit these. <laughs> now, Caleb Wesson was, didn't really have any guard skills to speak of. He's sort of like an undersized four. Mm. And so I'm willing to sort of write him off because Johnny Davis has guard skills, as do Keegan and to a lesser degree Tari, for what it's worth. Mm. Um, now, Culver, you would say, is not a 66th percentile outcome. He is much lower than that. We actually touched on him in the, yeah, yeah. In the other episode. And so, you know, you go back further, 2018, that loaded draft year, nobody did it. Um, 2017, there's a guy, uh, a couple guys who were, the, the, by the way, this is freshmen and sophomores that I ran this on. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan Happ from Wisconsin, he was a, like he could never oh, shoot. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. But crazy stealing blocks. Diedrich Lawson on Memphis, who was not very athletic and was like an older sophomore. He's like tw- 22 years old. He had fewer than 10 dunks, just wasn't athletic enough for the league. Um, and then uh, Markel Fultz. So you have now three number one picks in like the last five years, four number one picks in the last five years who've met these parameters. Uh and then in 2016, Ben Simmons did it. So, the, look, a lot of this has to do with big, you know, big usage guys tend to go at the top of the draft, understandably so. But I just thought that was interesting that it was Simmons, Fultz, Zion, Ant, and Cade all met these parameters. If you go back a little further, Jabari Parker did it too. And the only guys who really washed out of the league are guys who are clearly not athletic enough or clearly bad shooters. That's Johnny has, has zero bust potential just because it was for him to I'll, I'll say two things about Johnny, which are why I'm so high. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up that awesome statistical query. Uh, one is like most high usage guys like that are either like top three picks. And if they're not, they almost always don't have effort motor skills to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um because that's a lot of usage. So it's weird to have, you know, it's funny we have two of them and Tari and Johnny, but like even Tari would weirdly take a couple plays off, but Johnny just doesn't. He's like the best defender on his team and the best rebounder in his, he got the most rebounds in the conference, Mm -hmm. full stop, not guards, just the most rebounds in the conference. And to do that with that usage, it's like, it's complete. It's just like a just from a motor standpoint, it just makes me not want to bet against him. Um, but in terms of more concrete things, Wisconsin was like three hundred fifty something in the the NCAA and three point shooting. Right, um, Johnny. He, I'm going to throw out some numbers here. Johnny shot. Matter of fact, you might have seen me tweet this, but I'll ask anyway. What do you think Johnny shot on unguarded catch and shoot threes? I mean. Unguarded catch and shoot jump shots, which is by definition mostly threes. On part of me, guarded or unguarded? Unguarded. Unguarded. On unguarded catch and shoots, I don't know, probably like 37, 38. 47%. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I blew out the microphone, but that, yeah, it's, that's it's, great. You know, it's, it's small sample size. You know, anything less than 100 is a small sample size with threes or whatever. But, like, it, it just kind of fits the narrative of his situation of him. Like, the combination of him, A, dealing with horrible spacing, and B, always having, like, a Mamba mentality-ass shot selection. Right. And like I told people with LaMelo, different reasons, right? Because LaMelo was just 
having fun out there really <laughs> for the breakers, but like they're not going to have the same shot selection. Like everybody was like, Oh, LaMelo can't do that in the NBA. No, he can't. That's why his three point percentage will go up is what Prez told people several years ago correctly. And it doesn't take being a fake shot mechanics, armchair guru person. It's just like everybody shoots better if they have better shot selection. That's how it works in basketball anywhere at any level of the game. So when Lamelo's not like doing combo dribble pull-ups from fucking 40 feet, yeah, he's going to shoot better. And when Johnny Davis isn't taking like 17 cross between hezzy step through mid range floaters every game, he's also going to shoot better. Um, so there's the unguarded, the unguarded catch and shoot stuff. Um, fuck. I was, there's all, there's one other, there's one other Johnny step, but I can't remember what it was. Um, anyway, I just, I just really think that uh, even though he he had his efficiency struggles, like, um, and he's not, so he's he's an underrated athlete to me. Um, in literally every like definition of athleticism, his right. I feel like his strength doesn't get talked about enough. His first step is solid. I don't think it's like meh. It's pretty good. Um, he uh, his. Standing reach is the same as Shaden Sharps, who everybody's like, wow, big wing shot creator. And exactly, I'm like, okay. Yeah, yep. He has fucking bear paw hands. Uh, not like Tari, who has Kawhi hands, but like his hands are fucking big and his standing reach is long. So that's why he is able to get all those random dunks that you're like, oh shit, I didn't think he was going to dunk that. And that'll probably continue in the NBA. And then, like, on a fundamental level, like, this guy played in the FIBA U19 team with all these other fucking superstars like Chet and Ivy, and, like, his stats weren't good. The game, the sample was small, but, like, he was completely fine out there as not number one option 30 usage guy. So, like, it's easier to scale down a guy than it is to scale up. Exactly. Yeah. And there's just too many reasons for me to buy the upside, and... His motor stuff, like rebounding and defense, makes me ha- makes me feel comfortable that even if the offensive efficiency doesn't come around, he's still a useful playoff guy, even if he's a bit shorter. Because like Bain, he's never going to be a pushover. He's always going to be physical. And you'll never have to worry about like conditioning or know-how or screen navigation technique and shit like that. So... Exactly. Yeah, it, I, I'm super high on Johnny. <laughs> I lo- and look, if he hadn't gotten hurt, you would assume his numbers would be slightly more efficient than they are. And if his numbers were a little more efficient, and maybe Wisconsin goes to the Elite Eight or the Sweet Sixteen because he's not hurt, then he's like he is such a snoozer, no brain, like top eight pick, maybe even like top six pick. <laughs> Like, I just think that it's sort of value staring in plain sight. I like a, a guy he kind of reminds me of, kinda, um, who also appears on this list, by the way. I just didn't get to his draft year. Um, is Marcus Smart. Now Johnny's not the the defender that Marcus truly was, and he's not the full time point guard that Marcus was. But in terms of his brain and his that unbelievable conditioning he has they're dogs yeah man i look (laughs) it's a cliche but it's true i mean so many guys in the in the nba play really hard but then you have the guys who the guys who play hard are like i i i want to back off here a little bit like this is is insane 
And that I think Johnny's going to be one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he's. I, I don't have. I haven't done a, a actual like top sixteen, but he's in my tier after the top guys, along with. Well, I won't spoil it, but he's <laughs> he's he's up there. He's up yeah. there for me. Um, yeah, and he's. He, I have him above Matherin. Uh, not that I'm Matherin is high enough on my rankings. It's just I'm just that high on a on Sharp and AJ Griffin for the same for all the reasons we discussed earlier of like you know that like everything can go wrong and he's still like pretty much Cam Johnson to me. So yeah, I mean no, that's not true. Everything if everything went wrong for AJ Griffin, he doesn't play because he's injured. Well, that's what I mean, but that risk really exists for everybody. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming he's his physicals are mostly fine for purposes of speculation. If he drops because of injuries, that's a whole nother thing that I'm not prepared to evaluate. Just like I wasn't prepared in the MPJ Michael Porter Jr. draft, I didn't want the Knicks to take him because I didn't want the Knicks to fucking have a laughing stock. We already had some whiffs. I didn't need one whiff because he his knees disintegrated or whatever. So like his brothers, um, who I was also high on, Mm -hmm. but, um, anyway. Okay, cool. So, uh, that's good. We're at the almost two hour mark here and we've covered a lot of good, not great outcomes and a lot of other terrain in the process, which is exactly what I was hoping for. So, uh, mission accomplished Chuck. Uh, thank you for, for joining, for joining me yet again on another, uh, meandering, podcast episode i had tons of fun um i hope you had fun i had a great Uh, time great time the (laughs) nicknames alone made this worth my time and then we had the whole episode after that so oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna um, i already know what i'm gonna do Um, once this comes out i'm gonna clip the audio from only the nicknames part of the introduction and just anytime you post something that furthers one of my agendas i'm just gonna quote tweet it with that audio clip (laughs) <laughs> just from now till like whenever you quit Twitter, whenever that is in like 50 years or something. Yeah. So. It's going to be a hundred years. If you're making that promise, I, I won't be able to quit. I just there need to hear that, that clip. Thank you, man. You, this was a, this was a blast. You heard the man. Um, uh, tell the folks again where they can find you and your pod and all that good stuff. Uh, at chucking darts is my Twitter. I link all my episodes there. The, the podcast is the chucking darts, NBA and draft podcast. Um, should have a few episodes out this week. I know at least one, hopefully, uh, one or two others. It's going to be increasingly draft focused. I got to check on this, um, Mavs Warriors game to see if that series is going to be over, if it's going to continue. But, uh, that's where you'll find me. If you follow Prez, you know, we shout each other out enough and push each other's agendas enough to where you'll find my stuff. So thank you. Here's your important Dallas update. If you go down the Dallas roster and look at the plus minuses, you'll see minus four, minus 12, minus seven, minus one, minus 14, minus seven, plus four. And you know who the plus four is, listeners. <laughs> He's 0 for 1. With one three-point attempt, zero rebounds, one assist, zero steals, zero blocks, and zero turnovers in four minutes. That's right. It's Frankie making an impact, you fucking haters. Deal with it. 
And on that note, I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll catch you for the next Draft Strickland next week. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.